pass to Plum. Here come the Aces on the run. The Energizer looks for Ty Young. Sprints to the hoop. Off the glass and good. Good, good, good. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Oh, mercy. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show, show. And here we go. Get ready for the fourth quarter of game number four. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Hammy's going to let one fly. Chance Martin. There are six seconds to go, and the Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable three to give the Aces the lead. The doctor is now in. in, in, in. Hour number two, glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, on this Monday recap in a very busy weekend, not only here in Vegas, but everywhere. Basketball hoops, game number six coming your way tomorrow night between the Bucks. And the Suns, will it be a closeout game? I don't think we ever got the answer from the seven-footer. Are the Suns cooked? Well, he said it was a Bucks game to lose. Yeah. But he, he never, but he didn't he got really. vanilla. Yeah. Too vanilla on us. Yeah, he, well, he, he also said earlier that, you know, you can't predict what's going to happen in the right. game. Yeah. But then he said it's a So, yeah, he, he was sitting on the fence a little bit there. You know, very easily, I can make the argument that this game, this series is going seven. But the other side of me says, wait a minute. These guys have lost three in a row, and it is so tough, the psyche of that team, if you're a player, if you're a coach, to say, you know, hey, we've got to suck this thing up. We've lost three in a row. We're going to play the most important game you know, of our careers in front of 18,000 screaming Milwaukee maniacs inside. Maybe, and, probably tw- in franchise history. And, and, and 50,000 fans or whatever in the streets, in the entire, <clears throat> not just the Deer District, but everywhere. All properly social distanced. Yeah, you're right. As uh, long as it's um, less than six inches at the I didn't see a whole bunch of masks uh, you know, in the Deer <laughs> District. But anyway, I don't think, and, and I go back to what we had talked about before with B.J. Armstrong. This is a young Phoenix Suns <clears throat> team, and it is showing it is showing. And Chris Paul, he has a horrendous record. And again, I don't want to put all this. I really don't like these type of stats, but I heard the stats, so I'm going to throw it out there. Because he is the leader of this team. He's the point guard. Well, he's but, the veteran guy. But, yeah, he's uh, gone in, in four series where he, his teams, where he's been on, and the point guard of, have been down, or rather led two games to none and gone to lose. How about that record on your resume if this happens again for him? It'd be number five. Yeah. <laughs> which is proper in an Olympic year. Five rings. In this case, five no rings. Yeah, right. <laughs> in having the Olympics every five years <laughs> this year. Anyway. Ah, 2021. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People want to talk about 2020. Uh, 2021. So I can make the argument both ways. I think it's very tough. Milwaukee, if they continue to do what the, they've done, they they win the game. And again, Phoenix Plus, I, I have I have not to interrupt yeah. you, but I have a feeling Milwaukee's going all in on this one. They don't want to go back to Phoenix. No, their their whole crowd was chanting Bucks in six the the last time they were in Milwaukee before they even played Game Five. They were one hundred percent focused on winning Game Five and wrapping it up in Milwaukee. If they do lose tomorrow. 
that could be the jolt that that gets the Sun back on their confidence and everything else, and the Bucks are going back. Uh, I'm not saying it's a Game 7 for Milwaukee because they'll still be a Game 7, but they've kind of set it up that everything was set up after Game 4 for winning in 6. No, there's no doubt. I mean, they have to win this game, and the ultimate pressure is on the Milwaukee Bucks because to get this thing done home, this is their final home game of the year. They play better at home. Phoenix coming into this series, the best road team, you know, record-wise, especially in the playoffs, they're supposed to get the job done, but they couldn't get the job done in games three and four in Milwaukee. Milwaukee shoots the ball better from the free-throw line, especially Giannis and Middleton at home than they do. So, yeah, if, if Phoenix can break this three-game losing streak, advantage Phoenix, and they will be favored, just like the home team has been favored in every game thus far. But... I want to paint both sides of the picture here. So Phoenix has no answer defensively for Giannis. Has no answer whatsoever. And the Bucks seem to be deeper. They are deeper. Uh, especially when they can bring in guys like Bobby Portis and even P.J. Tucker uh, who are contributing. And these guys just play with tenacity, especially Bobby Portis. I mean, he, this guy is that glue. He's that glue off the bench that's going to bang. He's going to be intimidating takes no mess, no nonsense, and Bobby Portis can play. I mean, this guy was a tremendous score at the University of Arkansas. And he's bounced around the league a little bit, and he's never been happy because he's capable of going off for 25, 30 points at any given time. And he can shoot the three, and, we, and we've seen that as well too. But the difference maker, not only is Giannis, and we can talk about Chris Middleton, but it is Drew Holiday. I mean, the defense that that he's providing here. And when you go back to that play, we played the the audio in the highlight last hour of him stripping the ball from Devin Booker. That was a man going against a boy. And Devin Booker's a great player, but he we have seen him make stupid decisions, fouling on breakaways, should have fouled out on two different occasions in game number four. And Drew Holiday is just taking it to him. And then when Drew Holiday is guarding Chris Paul, he is making Chris Paul into a turnover machine. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but just the lazy passes. Oh, absolutely. DePaul, especially, you and know, Chris Paul's even talked about it. Oh, you know, which, it, which like, and, and again, when your veteran guy like Chris Paul is doing that kind of stuff, you can't have that. Yeah. He can't turn the ball over. And it seems to me that Phoenix needs somebody else to step up. You know, you mentioned how many different guys maybe can, and some nights you do, some nights you don't, especially when, you, when you're one of those guys like a B.J. Armstrong who, you know, you don't get a ton of shots. If you get hot one game, you got to make the most out of it. Somebody else has to help out Booker and the other guys for, for Phoenix because they're not getting it done with just a little bit here and there. They need a contribution from maybe somebody that you don't expect it from. Where's Jay Crowder? I mean, this guy, he's been in the finals before. This guy's been in the league Quite some time, he's a phenomenal player. And when when Jay Crowder is rolling, the Suns are rolling. But I see Jay Crowder, I, he came in at, towards the end of the game. I'm going, where's he been? I mean, he's been on the bench for a majority of the second half. This made no sense. And I'm going, what's, what's, what's going on with Monty Williams there? So, yeah, they need Jay Crowder to step up. You're not going to get... You know anybody behind DeAndre Ayton? We've seen Frank Kaminsky. We've seen that. That's not happening. Well, and and, and in Crowder's defense, if you're not in the game, it's hard to step up. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it makes no sense. I don't know. uh, This guy should be on the floor for forty plus minutes a game. It should be Booker, Paul, Crowder, 
Aiton, those are your guys, and you got to live and die with them. So, and and again, I, I went back and I brought up several times last week. Why is DeAndre Aiton, you know, playing only five minutes of, of the second half and game number three? Just so I don't know. Do so you think maybe they're being out coached? You think when well, it all comes no down to it, that it's the it's the coaching? Well, because yeah, we again, most people don't talk about coaching yeah. and players and this, that, and the other stuff. And I don't think sometimes I think coaches get too much blame when teams are bad. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when a team's really good, they don't get enough credit. And again, a guy like Phil Jackson, yes, he had the thoroughbreds. He had dynamic talent all over. He also had to manage that talent and make them play together. Yes. So sometimes and manage minutes, too, yeah, and so, egos. Yeah, sometimes yeah. just having talent can almost be a negative for you because, like you said, everybody needs their minutes. To convince them all to, you're not a scorer anymore, you're a defensive specialist. You're a scorer, but you're the sixth man off the bench. We see it with Bill Lambeer and you know the aces and that kind of stuff. When you have an abundance of talent, sometimes it's hard to make them all win. That's why as good as Doug Collins did in Chicago before Phil Jackson got there, they weren't winning championships. So that's why a guy like Dennis Rodman said, I'll only play for two people, you know, Jackson and obviously uh, Daly. Right. So, you know, I mean, there's something that you have to be able to get the most out of a lot of quirky and unusual talent as well. You've got to keep the superstars happy, but you've still got to keep the role players knowing their role and being willing to stick to it for the big picture. Perfect example, the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, look at them. And look at their coach, Steve Nash. He had no clue. He had no clue whatsoever. This was his first year. Uh, of coaching as a head coach. And there were a lot coach. of people that said he wasn't going to have a clue going in because right. of that. Right. So there is a perfect example right there about coaches not knowing to. Now, here's the thing with these two coaches. They're not getting a whole bunch of credit because many people in Milwaukee and throughout the NBA felt that Budenholzer has been outcoached every year. He has underperformed. And they said if he doesn't win this year, He's going to be gone. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of thought there that they should have been in this position absolutely. two, yeah. three, four Not years ago. Not a dynamic ago. coach. And again, we talk about we can't be in those huddles, but you can just look and try to read in between the lines of what you can see, see the body language, you know, see when they're calling timeouts, what they're saying to their teams, what adjustments they're making. And for the most part, neither one of these coaches are making many adjustments. So you're asking me, do I think uh, coaching has a lot to do with it with the Suns? Definitely. And Monty Williams got all kinds of credit. Well, it's easy to get credit when your team is rolling through the regular season and Dev, Devin Booker has kind of this breakout season the last two years and then you got a guy like Chris Paul and now all of a sudden well okay you know, look at Paul he stayed relatively healthy and he, he's leading this you know he's kind of the missing piece of the puzzle there but now you've lost three in a row and in every one of these games you can make the the argument that Phoenix should have won especially when you have a 16 point lead I don't care if it's the end of the first quarter. It's on your home floor. And that's the first time in this playoff that they've had a 10-point leader more in this playoff that they lost the game, I believe. Correct, yeah. I think, uh, I think they were 12-0 and or 13-0 and going into that. Right, right. And again, we talked before about Chris Paul, how well he was taking care of the basketball. And the assist-to-turnover ratio was phenomenal. It was the best that we've seen in, in a long time. But what has happened from game one on? It's, it's, he hasn't been good in games two, three, Four and even five, uh, you know, with uh, you know being careless with the basketball. So, a lot of things here. Is is the is age thirty six? So Chris Paul is that catching up in a very you know tight series now, a physical series. He's feeling pressure because again, you look at body language. We've seen Devin Booker and Chris Paul arguing with refs. We've seen them even arguing with themselves. 
the Bucks are a more cohesive unit, but you know why? They should be because they're a more veteran-laden team, and they have been deep into these playoffs you know, before. And Giannis, and we talked about it the other day, it's like Giannis has been around a long time. People don't realize how long this guy has been in the league, and, and it shows. So, yeah, I, I, I think you know, coaching has something to do with it. The lack of adjustments that Monty Williams has done, and even, even with Milwaukee, they've made lack of adjustments as well too. Milwaukee has kind of gotten away with uh, – a lot of flaws. This team still has a lot of flaws. They can't hit their free throws when they need to. They let teams go on these uncontested runs. I mean, Milwaukee should have put their foot on the throat of the Phoenix Suns with three and a half minutes to go. They had a 10-point lead. A 10-point lead. And, and then and, Chris Paul hits the three. Lost the game, yeah. yeah, Chris Paul hits that three to get, it back, to get it down to seven. And next thing you know, here they come, here they come. And they had the ball down one in the final 30 seconds and had a chance to win. And that would have been embarrassing for Milwaukee. But they hung on because they go through these lapses. This team is flawed. They've been flawed for a long time. So nothing would surprise me what happens. I mean, so yeah, you can say Phoenix, they could be cooked. They've lost three in a row. I think it's really hard for them. But and Phoenix is going to get out to a lead. They've got to a lead in every game. I, it, it's, 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 it's tough to say here. Well, the other thing that's interesting to me is when we're talking about the coaching, and I pose the question to you, are they being outcoached? It kind of sounds like Milwaukee is out coaching them because they're making fewer mistakes. Neither coach is doing an exceptional job. Both teams are flawed, and they're, they don't maybe have the right players in this and that. And, again, it's easy for us sitting here talking on a microphone, saying it, and maybe you ask him and you ask about Crowder. Maybe he's nursing an injury that we don't know about or something. that you know. I mean, there's always going to be a reason in the coach's mind why guys aren't there. But it seems like the out-coaching is that one coach is making more mistakes than the other one. Both are making mistakes, but someone's got to win the damn game. I think credit to, credit to the Bucks Again, when you are getting the production they're getting out of multiple players, getting you know the 40-plus games out of Giannis, and then you know Middleton and Drew Holiday. And again, it's, it's not just Giannis. I mean, Giannis had 26 in the one game, right? But the other guy stepped up. You know, in Middleton, you know, had more than him. Then yeah, forty last, or whatever. Yeah, and then in the last game, all three of those guys were balanced. I mean, they all were contributing, and then they get guys like PJ Tucker to come in and, and Bobby Portis to hit a, a a big three or a big jumper or, or to come up with a big block or a big rebound or a big defensive stop. So, so to me, Milwaukee has the better roster. They have the better. Um, they have the better, you know, probably overall talent, the deeper talent, and they have the more experience. And now they're going to have that home crowd, which we've seen Milwaukee be phenomenal at home. It's just what is going to happen. Uh, if Milwaukee gets out to a lead, I think it's going to be hard for Phoenix to come back. But I, I expect Phoenix to have a lead, start out strong just like they have before, especially these games on the road, and uh, in, in what they do in the second half. That, that's going to be the key. And DeAndre Ayton, he's got to be big time. He's got to be what Giannis is for the Bucks. Not Devin Booker, not Chris Paul, but to have an inside presence because Giannis is doing whatever he wants inside. He's not getting it done from the outside. That's not Giannis's game. Giannis is slicing, dicing to the hole, and they're on the offensive glass. They're on the putbacks, the tip-ins, the alley-oops. Giannis is getting it done there. So when it comes to if you were wagering on this game, would you say Phoenix in the first half or maybe Phoenix in the first quarter? Yes. You can find the places that have quarters yeah. on it and then see how it goes I don't there. bet that way, but yeah. That, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that yeah. would actually be a smart way to do it. Yes. And, and maybe take Milwaukee in the game and, you yes. know, and that with, was with tre- Phoenix early. That's a tr- that was a tremendous bet in the last game, too. And it's funny you bring that up because I was at the sports book on Saturday and I was looking at that and I never play first quarters or first halves. And 
it was two and a half was was the line there. Yeah, for that. I think one and a half. It, uh, Phoenix like one and a half for the first quarter, and I said that that's easy money. Of course, I didn't bet it, but yeah. Made, made total sense. I mean, again, 16-point lead. If you're watching that game and you bet Phoenix, you're thinking, this is cruise control. Even when it got to halftime, eh, it's cruise control. Second half, no. Nah. I mean, I mean, the Bucks turned around, don't get me wrong, in the second quarter. But then you figure, okay, Phoenix is going to make some adjustments, which they didn't, come back out of halftime, didn't get the job done. So Now, you spent a lot of time in Milwaukee. I'm from Chicago. I used to go to Milwaukee quite a bit because I actually lived in a suburb about halfway between Milwaukee and Chicago. What do you think the excitement level in that is in Milwaukee right now? And what do you think the demand for tickets, not in the Deer District, but actually in the game is right now? It's got to be off the charts. I don't know if it's Packers Super Bowl type of demand or something like that, but it's got to be off the charts. It's funny you you asked that because I still today have friends you know, back there. And not just Milwaukee, Green Bay, but everyone. I was talking to someone who lives in, in Superior, uh, which is quite a, quite a trek. And, you know, they're asking me, hey, so is it kind of like some of these other uh, sporting events or like concerts or that sort of thing where on the day of the game that the tickets will be cheaper? And I go, absolutely not. Oh, my gosh, no. I go, absolutely not, because they're thinking maybe I can get a cheap ticket, you know, to to go to this game. I go, no, they are off the charts. And so I get uh, – there's a local ticket broker there that's – that does the Packers, Bucks, Brewers, all that stuff. So I'm still on their email chain, and so I see what the tickets are there, and it is ridiculous. It is off the charts. It is going to be one of the highest priced tickets ever in this game six because not only is it the game, the series clincher, but it's the final game of the year. And this is their last opportunity. And it's in a small, it's a smaller arena for basketball. It's not like a big football stadium or well, right, something right, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. And it's you know they got eighteen thousand in there, but it it is. If you can't get a ticket inside, people are very content to stand outside and to stand. They're standing on concrete for four and five hours because they're getting there early. I mean, some people are even standing there longer than that. But, yeah, you're right. The ticket demand is insane. It's ridiculous. And uh, I I feel very happy for those fans in Milwaukee because they are just like Packer fans. Brewer fans are that way, too. I mean, University of Wisconsin, as we know, just – I mean, all of the... the they oh, they're just, crazy. They just, transcend just, it. Just the singing at halftime yeah. of On Wisconsin and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Is, I mean, as much as I'm... Again, there's nice people up there, and we would go up there to have a good time every once in a while, but it does kind of, it did kind of blow me away when I was at a Wisconsin football game. I'm like, what the heck is this? Well, And, and I've said it before about they fill every place to capacity, whether it's Wisconsin at 80,000, Lambeau Field now, you know, up to up to 75,000, well now 80,000 with the renovations and everything. Miller Park at 40,000 and uh, the Pfizer Forum at 18,000. I mean, they fill it. And even during the regular season I was talking about even those doldrum years, they'd fight the winter months and they would go up there and they would fill, fill the place. They love their bucks. So, yeah, it's it's great. And I want to go what Bill had talked about too about how fans have embraced this Milwaukee Bucks team, and I'm talking about outside of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because it's a great story. Because you've got Giannis, people like him. He's a good guy. He will address the media, whether they win or they lose. He's a lovable guy. He doesn't use profanity. He's not a showboat. Uh, no controversy. No controversy. He's a good Christian guy. You, you see him, you know, saying his, you know, looking up the sky, saying prayers. Hey, he he does every interview with class that he does. He's a humble kid. It, he looks like a kid. So he comes across. Chris Middleton is one of these 
you know, guys that's very humble as well, too. They don't have the jackasses. I'll say it. They don't have the, those type of attitudes. You know, they're not jawing with refs for the most part. You don't see that. And then you got the history factor, which I know that you and I both appreciate. You see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar coming back to these games and Oscar Robertson. They're coming back to these home games. And they'll be there, I, I'm sure, again tomorrow night like they were in games three and four. There is that, that lineage and that link to 71-74 of, of the Milwaukee Bucks. And with those guys coming back, and again, it's no different than UNLV. People here are still clinging to 1989 and 90. And they're clinging to those 70s. And now guess what? Oh, yeah. It's come full circle. It's back. So it's a great story. You can't say one negative thing. And we'll go to the Milwaukee social justice issues. Remember all of that stuff. And, and who was the team that took the stand right away and said, hey, we're not playing with this. And the Bucks, you know, not the most diverse community there in Milwaukee, but they have now turned that into a positive. There is nothing but feel-good story in Milwaukee, in the state of Wisconsin. And that's why everybody's embraced this team. They're fun to watch, too. Let's talk about the game and how they play. Who doesn't like watching them score 130 points a game? I think it's a phenomenal big, story. But big Bill Cartwright's the only one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, and, and you know, I, I do want to throw out one other thing there because you mentioned Bill, and I, I was going to throw this in there, too. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting because he's talking about how nobody in this series wants to play defense, and you can tell it's driving him crazy. Yet when all is said and done, that block by Giannis on Aiton still might be the play that everybody remembers from this final. And what they should remember is the steal by Drew Holiday. Right. No, I agree. Right. But, but, I mean, as soon as that yep. happened, they were trying to put it up there. Is it as big as the LeBron block? Yep. Is it as big as this? I mean, they were already putting this. Where does this go in all yep. time? And it's like, well... It's not a game seven. It's not a, I mean, it was a great play, but it was like, but I just, I, I find it kind of ironic that in a series where a lot of basketball purists are looking at this going, nobody's playing any D whatsoever, that a defensive play might be the thing that we see over and over and over again on an endless loop. In the two plays, like I said, with the Drew right, Holiday yeah. defensive play and that one, both of them, you're absolutely correct that those are. So who the comes signatures. up with the big D in this game for him? Yeah. Somebody, in order to win, I mean, there's, there, it's, it's going to happen. It, it has to be. And we have seen... Are you chowing down in some venison to celebrate their victory if they win it? No, but I'll go with the brat. I'll just go brat, okay? I'm not a big brat guy. I'm more of a dog guy than a brat okay. guy. But I, I, I do enjoy a brat more so than, than venison. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I know so many people that love the venison. Now, just, <laughs> now, do you do the brat with the cheese in it? Or do you put it in the beer? Do you, how do you make it? I, I, I don't well when I make it, um, I, I just I, I just grill it. So I'll let it sit in water for a while to get, to get all those juices, and then you got to put like the foil paper like underneath it. You got to because some wrap people it soak it in beer there before they do. Tons of people do that. But yeah. you get, see, but me, I'm not a beer guy. I'm not whether I'm not a beer drinker. I don't like really beer on my food. But so they kicked you out of Wisconsin. You yeah. didn't actually leave. They right, booted right. you. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> the cheese thing I could do with or without. Again, I was I was the Vienna dog guy. I was getting my Chicago dogs from you know across the border. Remember that? That's what I was doing, putting that on my grill when my friends would say put two brats on for me okay you fine you bring the brats whatever but you know yeah but yeah uh, you, you'll steam them first and then then you'll let them steam for about 15 minutes on the grill in that water and then you just lightly put them on the grill for about like five minutes and there's your brat tastes delicious all right and then you could doctor up however you want you want, you'll put the cheese on it you know whatever you want just but no ketchup see people still put ketchup on things like brats and hot dogs and 
That's that's irritating. I don't know. Oh, you know, I don't use any condiments, so. So, uh, answer your question. You want to take a realistic guess? Because I know, obviously, we think, you know, how much are, are tickets for tomorrow night's game in Milwaukee? Now, this, of course, is the secondary market because the season ticket holders have all the face value tickets. Um, 1200 bucks. 1200 bucks. Okay. Uh, you are over the price. Really? For standing room only. Okay. $1,050 for standing room only. Okay, so I can get a seat for 1200 bucks. No, can't get a seat. You're standing. <laughs> can't that, get it. That's only a thousand fifty. Yeah, you're give standing. The, give me the extra one fifty, and I can. I, I'll talk somebody in and sell me their ticket. You think so? Okay. Upper level. What do you want for upper level? Well, that's, what are you willing to pay for the upper level? Uh, sixteen hundred. Sixteen hundred bucks. You got a ticket. You can go tomorrow night for sixteen hundred bucks. Courtside. Now, say what do you want to be. You you want to be down in the first few rows. You want to be part of the celebration. You want to t- start taking your selfies. You want an up-close-and-personal shot of, of Giannis and Middleton and Holiday. Oscar Robertson. Yeah, yeah. Kareem, yeah. those guys. How, how much are you going to pay for Is that? Gucci Row there like a flannel shirt and a gun rack? <laughs> Absolutely correct. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're an NBA Hall of Famer, one of the 50 greatest of all right, time. Right, okay. Courts- then, you, then you ride your Harley in that they yeah. gave you when you retired. So to take your selfie tomorrow night, what do you got to pay for a seat? For a seat really down low courtside. Yeah, first, first four rows. Thirty five hundred. Try again. No, I'm done with this game. Seventeen grand. Seventeen grand. Seventeen thousand, my friend. Well, those are people coming up from Chicago. People in Wisconsin <laughs> don't have seventeen grand. They don't have a real city. Well, I'll tell you who they has. Have Milwaukee. It's the place that Chicagoans you know, go when they want to hey, just kick back. You know who has that kind of money? The Wisconsin bookies. You know what I'm talking about with that. Because people like to bet there, my friend. The bookies. They got that kind of money. Yeah, probably do. Remember yeah. where our good friend, uh, Doc Sports, where they're founded? Wisconsin. Yeah, they had that ridiculous <laughs> winning streak in Big Ten football for like, what, 20-plus yeah. years? Our good friend Scott Spritzer. There he is. You know, he's from Doc Sports, right? There he is. Yep. Yeah, a couple of those guys might uh, be courtside tomorrow night. They love their Milwaukee Bucks. All right, we come back. Bernie Fratto is going to join us. Uh, Bernie, longtime sports broadcaster, former colleague of ours. We will get a chance to, to talk with him. He's got a new book coming out. Um, yeah, cheap yeah. seats. So yeah. that wouldn't fit for this game six. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll ask Bernie how much he's willing to pay for this as well, too. All right, we got uh, that and a whole lot more coming your way. T.C. Martin Show on a Manic Monday. Around your door and more of what you're looking for with the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, talking a lot of hoop today. Game number six tomorrow night. We'll look forward to that. We'll preview that more tomorrow. B.J. Armstrong will join us, the former Chicago Bull and Detroit native. As I transition into that, uh, our very good friend who spent many a time in Detroit Rock City and parts of Michigan all over as well, too. Uh, Bernie Fratto, Fox Sports Radio, straight out of Vegas. Catch him on Saturday nights at 11 p.m. here. And he's got a new book out. Uh, Very happy to discuss this with him. A View from the Cheap Seats, a collection of sports stories. Bernie, what's going on, my man? Uh, T.C. Frank, good to be with you guys. By the way, not for nothing, I'm totally with you on that ketchup on the hot dog deal just the thought of that makes my teeth itch because 
ketchup is is not going to enhance the hot dog. It's going to camouflage the taste of the hot dog. I mean, it's like drinking it's like drinking wine through a straw, or eating pizza with a spoon. You don't put ketchup on a hot dog. Thank you, thank you. Sacrilegious is the term I always use, Bernie. That's it. Mustard is made for the hot dog. Ketchup. If you're a six year old, maybe you get a pass. But I don't. These these people, especially in the Midwest, <laughs> Chicagoans, they don't even have. You go to Wrigley Field, you're going to see any ketchup packages. You're not going to see the thing you know coming out of the squirter there uh, to the Vienna hot dog stand. It's not going to happen. I don't know how it is in Michigan, but it's not happening in Chicago, my friend, or Milwaukee. No, same deal. We're sister cities there, yeah. There you go. <laughs> What's going on, my man? How you been? Fantastic, guys. Uh, it's been uh, terrific. It's. Uh, I'm glad to see the sports world getting back to a state of normalcy. And uh, yeah, you guys brought up a lot of great points about Milwaukee. And I think uh, it'll be sort of heartwarming to see them get their first championships in 71. All right. Who are you picking, Bernie? Well, I actually think Milwaukee gets it done tomorrow night. Chris Paul's just simply out of gas. Uh, he's got nothing left in the tank. You know, Phoenix shot 55% uh, from the floor, 65% from behind the three-point arc, and 90% from the free-throw line, and they still lost. So you're going home to the Fear to Deer Arena, and I just don't think – look, when the history books are written, Chris Paul will be in the Hall of Fame, but he's got warning track power, man. He gets to this stage every time, and we should know by now he's yeah. not going to finish the job. Drew Holiday has been riding him like a stick horse for three games. Give Coach Bud for for making that adjustment, for it working, and uh, he wore Chris Paul out. You know, it's interesting, too, when you mentioned that Paul's out of gas. And, yes, I know he's a veteran. He's been around a, a lot of years, and he takes a beating here and there. But you would think that with the extra day off that they've done in so many of these games that that would maybe give him time to, you know, rejuvenate himself, get a little bit ready. But I agree with you. He does look like he's been tired. I just wonder how tired he would have looked if they actually played this series every other game. It might already be over. It might It might be. Uh, you know, the long and the short of it is defense wins. And Milwaukee's defense is very good. And uh, I think he's not only physically tired, he's mentally fatigued when you see some of the decisions he's made. The first four games uh, that uh, Drew Holiday has guarded him, he's, Paul's turned the ball over 17 times. He didn't turn the ball over that many times in the first three series in the entire series. So that tells you right there he's not himself. There he is. All right, Bernie Fratto joined us. Uh, Bernie, a view from the cheap seats. I was looking at the book cover, and I saw the picture of the seats there. So first glance, my eye said, hey, Dodger Stadium. You know, the the, the old yellow seats there kind of. Then I did a closer closer look and i go wait a minute these really are cheap seats where where is that from i mean literally it is the cheap seats right well my publisher didn't tell me but i think maybe war memorial stadium in buffalo is that a chance could be there you go the old, old chicago stadium uh, frank maybe no, uh, those are red where my the uh, yeah, blackhawks used to play no no th- th- those were red i saw many of black <laughs> I-, I saw blackhawk on bold double headers back in the day yeah and, and not the most uncomfortable uh, not the most comfortable seats either no, it also wasn't no. that warm there because the ice was always underneath it, whether it was basketball or, or hockey. Well, so. Bernie can relate to that because they're probably the same uh, the same seat manufacturers that they had at Cobo Hall. The joke. Co- nicely done. Cobo Arena is still Cobo, there. Yeah. Still there. They've converted it into a conventional area. Now right on Jefferson Boulevard. That's nicely done. There you go, man. All right, so how did you come up with the, with the name, Bernie? You're a media guy. You've never sat in the cheap seats. So, so where does the name of the book come from here? It's a good, very good question. The view from the cheap seats, 
was the name of my very first radio show when I signed on WTK in Ann Arbor, 10.50 a.m. flagship for Michigan in February of 96. And that show had a four-year run. And the name just popped into my mind. I don't know why. I'd been a credential member of the media for a couple years before that. I explained it in the introduction of the book, which you can read on Amazon without even buying the book. And it just, that name struck me in 96, and it caught on. And when I was coming up with a title for the book, uh, it, it, it hit me again. It's not even necessarily related to uh, the stories in the book themselves, because what I talk about is how my life changed in June of 94 when I got my first credential and I had access. So I had access to stories that was no longer in the cheap seat. So more a play on words than anything else and a brief homage to my very first radio show that I had back in 96. All right. And uh, I, I don't want to play spoil alert here, but I, I think it's uh... – uh, pretty cool. June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. We all remember where we were at that night when when people talk about it. Maybe the date they might not understand, but when you talk about what happened that night, and for you, it was monumental in in many ways because that was uh, you were going to your first game as a credential media member at Tiger Stadium, right? But uh, the, the Tigers exactly were not the, right. the Tigers were not the focal part of June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. I'll let you take it from there. No, that's that's a great setup. So. I get my seat in the press box, and this was the first year in Tiger Stadium. And by the way, the Tigers were hosting the Blue Jays that night, but it was a sidelight. And you'd looked up, it was the first year in the press box at the old Tiger Stadium that had installed media monitors so you could watch the game on TV. Only they weren't showing the game. They were showing a Bronco chase. We had no idea what was going on because there was no sound. And all of a sudden, uh, David Gascon, the commander-in-chief for media relations, at the LAPD at the time is when he delivered his famous line, O.J. Simpson is a fugitive from justice. We couldn't hear what he was saying. It wasn't until I got home about one in the morning I had to rewatch it. And, of course, that's been sort of an iconic video now. Here's the kicker. Fast forward to 2018 when I joined Fox Sports, we have a producer there by the name of David Gascon. David Gascon is the son of David Gascon, who did the narrative on the O.J. Chase June 17, 1994, when I got my very first credential on behalf of WTK in Ann Arbor. So it came full circle, and that is a story in and of itself. And I just thought, you know, in the introduction, if you like idiosyncratic stories that have a beginning, middle, and end, but usually have sort of a punchline or a twist, we all do. I mean, I've been a sucker. I'm a sucker for a great story. I think most of us are. And there's an old saying, give me a fact and I'll learn it. Tell me the truth and I'll believe it. But share a good story that lives in my heart the rest of my life. And as Tip O'Neill once said, if you have the added value of being true, that's even better. So the irony for me is the very first story involving me and the media had already been written that night and I didn't even know it. So what was the vibe in the press box that night there? Was there, was everybody walking around saying, what the hell are we watching? Can somebody let us know? Can you put the game on? Or, I mean, what was it like if, if you were just seeing the video and that and you're like, we don't know what we're watching. It looks like it's probably important. Well, we knew at that point that O.J. Simpson was a fugitive. What we didn't know was about the chase. That, that part wouldn't be filled in later. To answer your question, there might, there might as well not even have been a game on the field. No one was paying attention to the game on the field. As a matter of fact, Dan Patrick on his show on June 17th, this most recent June 17th, which was the 27th anniversary, if you can believe it, talked about how he was covering the next Houston game and going back and forth with Bob Costas, same deal. They were transfixed. They were barely paying attention to the game on the floor. 
They didn't know what was happening. They knew what was happening, but they didn't have any details. And that's why everything was in sort of a state of suspended animation. So we were all zombies in the press box. It was my first night ever in a press box. I'm like, freak. I wasn't freaking out. I'm like, wow, what is this, man? What, what is going on here? So uh, that was sort of the mood, Frank, and that uh, disorientation. And I was, that's what I was going to bring up as well, too. It's like I can't even believe that, that you went to that game that night, that you weren't watching the NBA Finals between the Rockets and the Knicks because, again, everyone who tuned in to watch that game, they didn't get a chance to see it. And they, we, we even went through the split screens where we had the Bronco chase uh, you know, and, and the game, and then quickly the Bronco chase took over the game in the NBA Finals. It absolutely did, and I was—I certainly found out about that later, and saw that you know all those videos later as well. But I was down at at Tiger Stadium, and I think it was a situation where we all knew what was happening, and OJ was supposed to turn himself in that morning, and he didn't, and so the media throng and the coverage was just overwhelming. And uh, you know, combine that with my very first night as a credential media member and the David Gascon angle. His son, 27 years later, that's sort of a story in and of itself, at least in terms for me. All right, Bernie, so who won the game? The Tigers win? Cecil Fielder go deep? What, what happened? Actually, I don't remember, but I, <laughs> uh, my good friend Sean Green, I, I, you know what? I'd be lying if I tried to. I, could, I suppose I should have looked it up, right? <laughs> no, I, mean, uh, I do remember this, though. Uh, Sean Green, my friend, I've been friends with the family, uh, and we coached him in County Mac back in 91. Uh, he was uh, starting in right field for the Blue Jays that night. It was his first time through Detroit, and so I got to hang out with him a little bit and, and reminisce. But I don't even remember that because it was all overshadowed by what happened. Right. Bernie Frado joins us. Bernie's got a book out, A View from the Cheap Seats, a collection of sports stories. You talked about the stories, Bernie. Um, aside from that one, you know, that night that you're talking about, that you have the forward there, what's one of your favorite stories in the book? Yeah, and by the way, let me just say this. TC, if you remember, the the first night I, I met you, it was in 2016. We happened to be sitting next to each other at the uh, Mountain West basketball tournament and uh, at, at the end right under one of the hoops. And all we did was trade stories about Green Bay and Detroit, and it was a lot of fun. We didn't say that, hey, remember when the Packers uh, beat the Lions 14-6 to and Barry Sanders rushed for three yards? We didn't talk. We talked about stories. And, Frank, how many times did I – hang out in the doorway of your office. We're talking about old hockey stories. And the reason I bring that up is I certainly agree that game results and box scores are important, but it's always the backstory that gives sports depth and texture. And you feel stories because they stick with you. Endorphins are released in your brain. So to answer your question directly, I can't honestly say I have a favorite story in book because that'd be like picking out my favorite noodle in a plate of spaghetti. But I'll give you a couple of examples. And, and I have, you know, very short stories, medium, and somewhere a little bit longer. But you can read the entire book in two hours or less. So, for instance, famous people have lives, too. Don Shula. Of course, you guys know who Don Shula is. Well, one summer, he and his family, his wife and five kids, were vacationing in the middle of Maine. And they decided to take in a matinee movie one afternoon. And so they head to the movie theater and as they enter the theater, they look down in the front row, there's only three people in, 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 inside the entire theater. Well, the minute Shula and his clan enter the theater, the three people in the front row stand up and turn around and start clapping and cheering. Shula's wife, Dorothy, looks at him and says, well, look at that, Don. You're famous no matter where you go. Everybody loves you. These folks must be Dolphins fans. The guy in the front row says, lady, 
We have no idea who the hell your husband is. All we know is this theater will not start the movie until there's at least 10 people in attendance. <laughs> Classic stuff. Classic stuff. Bernie, uh, we got uh, breaking news here for you. So just so you know, to go ahead and put a, a cap on the story here for your forward, okay? Tigers won 6-5 to five that night, and uh, Cecil Fielder was actually 0-4. And Travis Fryman was leading off. Over five. What did Sean Green do? Uh, Sean Green didn't get in the game. Didn't get in the game that night. See, see, I don't even remember that. Yeah, wasn't we actually had lunch that day? I can tell you what he had for lunch. He had for fettuccine alfredo, but I don't remember what happened (laughs) in the game because once the OJ thing. Yeah. No, yeah, you saw you were you were at a great game. I mean, six five Tigers win at Tiger Stadium. Did he wash down his lunch with an orange juice? <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting? I'm glad you brought that up, TC, because it's one of the stories I have in the book is how things can get overshadowed. And I know both you guys know this. You're sports guys. Well, Joe Namath and the New York Jets in Super Bowl three when they upset the Colts sixteen to seven. That really changed the scope of the NFL, and uh, I've even got a story in the book about how you can really trace the lineage of the Super Bowl to Al Davis. But the following year, everybody forgets, the Kansas City Chiefs had a hell of a team, and they beat the Minnesota Vikings 23-6. to They beat a very good Minnesota team, and that was actually Kansas City's second Super Bowl. They went to the first Super Bowl, lost to Green Bay. But that team that Hank Stram had was, was very good. They had a tight end by the name of Fred Arbanis. Fred had gone to Michigan State. Fred was uh, had the distinction of being the only player in the National Football League that was actually blind in one eye. And so one particular game during the regular season, Arbanis caught a pass over the middle and got flattened and knocked out. And the referee for the game, a guy by the name of Burl Toller, came over with smelling salts. And when Fred Arbanis came to and, and rose to his feet, Toller looked at him and says, Fred, what would you ever do? If you lost a sight in your good eye. And in the heat of the action, in the middle of the field, Arbanis looked at him in deadpan and said, that's easy, Burl, I'll become a referee. And what's funny about that story is Burl Toller, an African-American ref, went on to become the first African-American ref to ever uh, be part of a Super Bowl officiating team. Wow. Wow. Good stuff. And, and who was the first official blind referee that we had in the NFL? <laughs> I think there's been many, Frank. I can't name them all. <laughs> well, Bernie, you're you're a Tiger guy. You're a Lion guy. You're a Detroit guy. He's uh, a Red Wing guy. Through, he's a Red Wing guy sure. too. He's he's Detroit through and oh, through. Oh yeah. So uh, when I heard the story today, I said Let, let's talk to Bernie and get his take on this because there's there's been a, a lot of passionate uh, Lions talk with this guy over the years. Matthew Stafford going to the Rams. Uh, we know that. Well, uh, Jimmy Ward who uh, defensive back for the San Francisco 49ers uh, had a little quote earlier today uh, when, they, when he was asked about uh, Matt Stafford. He says, here's a quote. He's the same quarterback who was on the Detroit Lions, and they still didn't go to the playoffs. And they had Megatron, Calvin Johnson. What was the problem over there in Detroit? Are you going to blame the city? What was the problem? Was it the money? If the city didn't have enough money to bring players over there, why even have an NFL team? That's a big question mark. So... Bernie, take it from there when you hear that from uh, <laughs> Jimmy Ward bashing on Matt Stafford. Jimmy Ward just became my new BFF for life. <laughs> because 
I, I, I am so tired of hearing how Matt Stafford is going to be the savior of, of the Rams. Let, let's, let's put this in perspective. Matt Stafford, against teams who finished above 500 in his career, he's 10-65. and 65. He's 0-3 in the playoffs and 0-7 in games that had playoff implications. Now, I don't dislike Matt Stafford. I respect Matt Stafford. He plays hard. He's a leader. He's, he's a gamer. He does everything. But win, and this, and I will tell you that this ongoing narrative that he had never had anything to work with is bullvine scatology. It's crap. The, 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 I will, the poster child game for me was in January of 2015, the 2014 season. The Lions were 12 and four. They played Dallas, and all the Lions fans want to complain about is the picked up uh, the picked up flag on on on. Uh, I forget who the Lions receiver was. The long and the short of it is this. The Lions led that game with eight minutes to go. Tony Romo leads the Cowboys down the field and scores. So it's 23-20. The Lions get the ball back with three minutes and all their timeouts. What does Stafford do the first play? Turns it over. But one of the Dallas defensive ends tries to go Leon Lett and return it for a touchdown and fumbles the ball back. The Lions get the ball back. Four plays later, Stafford turns the ball over again. He had two bites at the apple in the fourth quarter. That encapsulates Matt Stafford. When he gets desperate, you're going to see him roll to his right, roll to his right, roll to his right, try to keep a play alive. He'll throw a floater, he'll throw a helicopter across his body into a sea of hands, and there'll be an interception. He'll drop back, he'll get blitzed, he won't secure the ball in the pocket, someone will slap it out of his hands. He'll try to sneak the ball over for the goal line, he won't secure the ball, he'll fumble. He is not a closer, and they've had teams in Detroit that were good enough they made the playoffs three times, never came close to winning a game. Jimmy Ward is exactly correct. The irony is Jared Goff actually has three playoff wins and went to a Super Bowl and had a pretty gritty, gutty playoff win in Seattle this past January, but somewhere along the line he uh, fell into Sean McVay's doghouse. I'll apologize if I'm wrong, but I don't think Matt Stafford's getting them to the Super Bowl. Not at all. I saw enough in Detroit yet. If people hadn't been to games in Ford Field to see what Stafford does when it really matters most, forget about all the, forget about all these great yards at the end of the game when he has these fourth quarter comebacks against three and thirteen teams. He is a guy who's got a lot of stats and he plays hard, but he's never going to be a quarterback you win because of. I'm not even sure if he's a guy you win with. He's going to have his chance in L.A. He can prove me wrong. We'll see it. So to cross sports and make an analogy about Stafford, would you say he's kind of like that that boxer or something that if you can beat him, maybe you're a legitimate contender, and if you can't, uh, then maybe you're not as good as you thought. Maybe you think of a different profession because it kind of sounds like you're saying that Stafford is that guy who he's good, but he's not that good and not worth the giant contract in that. He's kind of like a stepping stone that other quarterbacks in that measure themselves against. Well, I, I think yeah, that's a fair analogy, Frank. I, I think his record speaks for itself. And even Peter King said a couple of months ago, uh, enough about the Stafford stuff. Could, could he not once, once in 12 years put the team on his back? No. You'll see. when he get, And by the way, he struggled mightily against the NFC West. San Francisco ate his lunch. Arizona ate his lunch. So did Seattle. So did, so did the Rams. He's never had any kind of success against that division. And so it's a situation. I'll, I'll give it. A, I'll give a hockey analogy. I think one year Jimmy Carson scored fifty goals, and I think forty-eight of them when they're up like seven nothing. <laughs> Never scored a significant goal the entire year, but he ended up with fifty. 
Well, uh, look at it. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, he's got better coaching. He's got uh, better defense on the other side of the ball for him. And, and he's got plenty of weapons. So to be determined, uh, to be determined. All right, Bernie Fratto, check out his book. And, of course, check out his show straight out of Vegas Saturday nights at 11 o'clock here on Fox Sports Radio. A view from the cheap seats, collection of sports stories. And I know Bernie loves his stories. He also loves Chinese proverbs and, and famous quotes. Uh, y- you got one of those you want to send us out on? Well, I appreciate the way you guys show the sports world so much respect. So I'll quote Maya Angelou. Uh, no one remembers what you said. No one remembers what you did. They'll always remember how you made them feel. And I think you guys do a fine job with, with your show and and, and in, uh, with the Las Vegas Aces and the whole deal. And uh, you show a lot of respect to the sports world and bring, in, you know, bring your commentary to people who uh, you take them places they might not go. And then on, that, on that note, guys, I think I'm going to go have a hot dog without ketchup. Yes, yes. Hey, hey real quick, where can you get the book at, Bernie? Uh, it's an ebook right now. We may convert it to, but you can go on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any of the major stores. Uh, you can go to my publisher, Book Baby. But I think the simplest way to get it is just go to Amazon.com. It comes right up, and uh, it's it's pretty easy to buy. That's how people do things these days, I guess. So, mm-hmm. uh, but any of the any of the major online booksellers, including Barnes and Noble and Amazon Kindle. There you go, right there. And uh, you know he'll he'll uh, give you an autograph too. Meet him over at Big B's Texas Barbecue because not only does he like a hot Love dog, it. he loves Big B's as well too. I was just I was just there last Saturday, TC. I was there Say last the night. I was. I was there last night. Yep. There I, you go. Missed you, I missed you by one day. Ah. All right, brother. Hey, uh, keep, keep up the good work uh, with uh, the radio show and everything else, man. And uh, we know we'll be talking to you a lot during football season here. Well, great. Uh, good to talk to you guys. And uh, keep up the great work yourselves. Again, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Appreciate yeah, you, Bernie. Good luck on the book. You got it, buddy. Thanks. All right, Bernie Fratto. Uh, just an uh, all-around great guy and a great broadcaster as well, too. All right. Uh, I want to thank Bernie, Bill Cartwright, for joining us. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website. Check out all the past interviews. It's all there at tcmartinshow.com. Join us tomorrow, Terrible Tuesday edition at 2.